Soundprints Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Soundprints is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushevel. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Soundprints for the week of March 13, 2016. This announcement was posted by President Kim Charlson on the ACB leadership list on February 21, and she asks that we distribute it as widely as possible. CVS Prescriptions To Blind and Visually Impaired CVS Pharmacy Customers As you may know, both CVS.com and Caremark have been offering Script Talk talking labels to mail order customers. We know that not everyone can receive mail order in particular living situations, and we know that mail order is not effective for last minute prescriptions or for medications that cannot be sent via the mail. We are talking with CVS about solutions that can be offered in all stores. CVS continues to be a great partner with ACB on these issues in structured negotiation. As a result of CVS Health's ongoing commitment to its blind pharmacy customers, CVS is now able to ship prescription medications with the Script Talk talking label to a customer's local store for pickup at the store. This is an alternative for those who cannot receive prescriptions in the mail at home from CVS.com. Right now, because of federal regulations governing the CVS.com pharmacy, this service is not available for medications that are controlled substances. We continue to work with CVS to make sure customers are able to receive controlled substance medications with talking labels from CVS.com and in the stores. Although they are not available from CVS.com, controlled substance medications are available with the Script Talk talking, braille, and large print labels from Caremark. If you would like to receive your prescription medications or refills with the Script Talk label through CVS.com for pickup at your local CVS store with a two to three day pickup window, the number to call is 888-861-4363. If you have any problems or concerns or want to share positive experiences, the CVS customer service number to call is 1-800-SHOP-CVS. That is 1-800-7467-687. Lainey Feingold and Linda Dardarian are working with CVS on these issues with ACB. Lainey and Linda are interested in hearing from customers who call 888-861-4363 to set up their delivery for their local CVS store. Please contact Lainey and Linda by email, if possible, at lf at lflegal.com. If email is not available, please leave a message at 510-548-5062. 
Lainey and Linda are also working with ACB and CVS on the accessibility of the kiosks in the Minute Clinics that are inside some CVS stores. Please contact them at the email and phone above if you have experience with the clinics and the registration kiosks inside the clinics. Thank you for helping ACB advocate for accessible prescription information. Next, a technology announcement. Windowize Screen Reader Software 9.4 is now available from the AI Squared website. Those of you who are running Microsoft 2010 or later are eligible for a free copy of Windowize and for free upgrades. Want to take Windowize for a test run? 60-day fully functional demos of the software are also available for download. For more information, visit www.gwmicro.com or call 260-489-3671. Time is running out for you to apply for an all-expenses-paid trip to the ACB 2016 National Convention in Minneapolis, Minnesota. If you've never attended an ACB National Convention and you are active in your local, chapter, or state, or special interest affiliate, you are eligible to apply for the Derbert K. McDaniel First Timer Award. Two lucky people, one from east and one from west of the Mississippi, will be chosen as 2016 DKM First Timers. But wait, there's more. This year, thanks to a special grant from J.P. Morgan Chase, eight Leadership Fellows will also attend the National Convention as guests of ACB. Leadership Fellows may have attended a past National Convention. Our up-and-coming leaders in their chapters and affiliates and want to become more involved on the national level. The application process is simple. Just write a letter introducing yourself and explaining why you believe that you should be chosen as either a first-timer or a Leadership Fellow. Ask your affiliate president to also write a letter on your behalf. Submit both letters by April 1 to Kelly Gask in the ACB National Office. Kelly's email is kgask, G-A-S-Q-U-E, at acb.org. The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind had another information-packed, fun-filled roundabout this past week. In addition to Braille lessons, growing our family trees, dinner, bingo, and some socializing, we had a guest speaker for our discussion time. This time, the speaker was Allison Seals, a chronic disease educator from Norton's Women's and Cosair Children's Hospital here in Louisville. Join us on pages 2 and 3 as we share most of her information-packed presentation. We all know that we can borrow books in Braille and on cartridge or download them in digital formats from our talking book libraries. But sometimes we forget about the magazines that are also available free of charge in these formats. As a reminder and to whet your appetite for the great information you can find in magazines, we've included a short segment from the February 2016 National Geographic magazine, available in digital formats from the NLS talking book libraries. The article reviews the top 10 most popular breeds of dogs for each of the decades from 1910 to 2010. Get a glimpse of the change in preferences for pet dogs over the past 100 years on page 4. Check out all the details in the February 2016 National Geographic. 
And on page 5 is the Soundprints calendar. Page 2. Okay, if I could have your attention, please. We're glad everybody's come to Roundabout again this week. In spite of basketball, some of you probably couldn't care less, but some of us care very much. <laughs> and and um, so we have a guest speaker with us again this week. And this week, it's Allison Seals. And she works at what used to be Suburban Hospital, is now part of the Norton chain. Her specialty is diabetes. I met her when I was in the hospital in January when I had my diverticulitis. And everything, I think everything about me was messed up. <laughs> you know, when, when you have a lot of infection, everything is wrong. And it certainly was when I showed up at that hospital. So I was very glad to get to talk to her. And she, um, I think she has some great things to talk about. Um, a lot of us need to hear what she has to say. Feel free to ask questions. I'm sure she won't mind. So this is Allison Seals. And welcome, Allison, to the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout. All right. Well, good evening. Thank you guys for having me. Like Ms. Carla said, I am a um, chronic disease educator at Norton Women and Children's Hospital. I have been actually with Norton's for almost 15 years, but I just took over doing um, chronic disease education in October of 2013. No, 14. Sorry. It's, still, it's almost a year and a half now. Um, but it's very exciting. I love doing it. I love being able to teach patients um, and doing one-on-one. -on -one. So this is actually going to be my first sort of big group talk, but I do teach outpatient uh, type 2 class too. So I'm going to kind of start there about doing an introduction of what diabetes is. Um, is everybody here, does, does, do people here have diabetes? Raise your hand if you have diabetes. Okay. All right, and then some of you may just like want to know what your risk factors are for getting diabetes, or you may have family or friends that have diabetes. Um, so I'm going to kind of give you some insight into it because a lot of times, you know, people don't really understand the full story. Um, so diabetes is actually a disease where our pancreas doesn't use or produce insulin correctly. What happens in our body is whenever we eat something that is a carbohydrate, which I'll talk about a little bit later, turns to sugar in our body. And we need sugar, of course, to survive for energy. But what happens is we'll eat it, our stomach will put it, um, we'll eat anything that's a carbohydrate, our stomach will process it. It stores some in our liver because we store it there to work on throughout the day and then it puts the other part into our bloodstream um, so we can use it for energy. Well, our pancreas will then um, either make a lot of insulin or throughout the day it makes a small amount, but we need to have insulin to attach to sugar to go into the cell for energy. So when you have diabetes and it's a problem where your pancreas isn't making enough insulin, what happens is you only have a certain amount going down into your bloodstream, so it attaches to a certain amount of sugars and they get into the cell and the other cells don't have any insulin, so they just stay in your bloodstream and make it high. Another part of for type 2 diabetes would be is when I said that our stomach puts some sugar in our liver for storage. Whenever we um, are not using sugar from food that we ate, our body will just, our liver will release the sugar um, that we need for energy. So sometimes our liver kind of uh, doesn't know when to stop releasing this sugar. So 
the body releases it, but it releases too much, so therefore all your cells do get in and gets the energy that it needs, but there's extra sugar still left in your bloodstream. So some of you that may actually test your blood sugars in the morning and they're high, you may say, well, why is my blood sugar high? Because I haven't even eaten anything since 7 o'clock the night before. Well, what's going on is your liver is releasing all this sugar throughout the, the rest of the evening and the nighttime for your energy and it's just releasing too much. So in the morning, that's, we'll talk about why it's important to eat a bedtime snack. There's four types of diabetes, and there's type 1 diabetes, which is um, known as, typically we all know it as juvenile diabetes, and that is um, usually diagnosed before somebody it turns the age of 30. They don't have the same risk factors that you have for type 2, and their pancreas just stops making insulin altogether. Um, these are the ones that will always have to be on insulin no matter what for survival. Then there's the type 2 diabetes, which is kind of more what we're talking about tonight. And for type 2 diabetes, your risk factors include age, race, obesity, family history of diabetes, blood pressure, um, if your triglycerides and cholesterol are high. So all of those um, play a part in your risk for developing type 2 of diabetes. When I teach diabetes, I want to make sure that everybody understands that, you know, when we, self-management is going to be trying to work on the things that we can modify. Like we, I encourage exercise because exercise helps keep our blood sugars down. So that'll actually help our weight, which means we wouldn't be obese and that will bring your risk factor for type 2 down. Um, making sure we take all of our medications so our blood pressure isn't high, our cholesterol isn't high, our triglycerides aren't high. We can never change the fact of how old we are, if our family has diabetes, what um, ethnicity we are. We can't change that. So we just try to teach to make sure that we are um, keeping what we can in check. So those are kind of like your risk factors for type 2. The other two um, types of diabetes are going to be gestational diabetes, um, which is diabetes when you're pregnant. Okay, so um, having gestational diabetes also puts you at risk for getting type 2 diabetes later on in life. And then there's sometimes there's um, medical or surgically induced diabetes. Um, any of you all that are diab diabetic, please note that um, if you take steroids for any kind of illness, your sugars are going to go up. So going back to, so surgically and medically induced diabetes. If somebody is on steroids, like I said, your blood sugars are going to go up. So um, sometimes we have patients that are chronically have respiratory infections and have to be on steroids. We have patients that have to have um, chemotherapy, um, and a lot of times patients on chemo have to have steroids. So a lot of times their sugars will stay up while they're on there. So we kind of have to start treating them as a diabetic. Anybody that has to have part of their pancreas removed, um, liver, say you do get radiation for some sort of um, uh, cancer, you may damage your pancreas and liver, so therefore your body starts to react like a diabetic. All right. So those are kind of like the four, but mainly we just talk about um, in my classes, type 2 class, and in the hospitals, mostly type 2. Uh, this, what about anti-inflammatories if you're on MS for a long period of time? Like um, ibuprofen? I know, like, uh, like arthritis and stuff like that, but some of them will damage you. So, so if some of them damage your kidneys, so and kidney, kidney problems are a complication from diabetes, so that's where your doctor would be monitoring your kidney function more frequently to 
to make sure that between your medications that you're on and your diabetes, your kidneys don't start to fail without, you know, too much out of control where you end up on dialysis before we even caught anything. And my uh, sugar levels tend to be between anywhere from 109 to about 125. Mm -hmm. Is that pretty decent? Yeah, I like those numbers. I like those numbers all around. The, the medication I'm taking, however, I think it has a side effect. Are you on metformin or glucophage? Yes. Unfortunately, metformin is the um, that the worst side effect to metformin is GI upset, bloating, nauseated, vomiting, and diarrhea. Exercise, one of the major things that is important. So I always encourage 30 minutes, five, at least five days a week. Um, would love for people to do 60 minutes seven days a week, but I'm pretty realistic on the fact that no one does that really. You know, like I said earlier, um, exercise makes our cells more sensitive to that insulin to let it go in and keep our blood sugars down. Um, so that's why we always go plus it, it really does help with weight loss, which is going to help. Okay. Um, this could be just simple walking. Anything that just gets your heart rate up a little bit, it doesn't mean anybody has to join a gym and start being a power weightlifter or anything like that. It's just, you know, taking a nice stroll, going at a little faster pace that your heart rate gets up a little bit. Um, and you can actually break that down into 15-minute sessions, too. So you could do 15 minutes at a time once a day if you could. Um, I'll go into medications real quick because we were just kind of talking about that. Um, I'm not going to list them all, but I'll let you know we, there is oral medications and there is um, injectables, which is like your insulin. There are, goodness, probably six or seven different categories of oral medications that um, your doctor can prescribe. And all of these medications work differently on your body. So some of them, uh, some of these medications are going to help stimulate your pancreas to make more insulin, if that's what we think is going on. Some of them, is gonna, um, some of them are going to help your liver stop um, releasing so much sugar, if that's the problem that's going on. Some of the medications are going to work on your stomach to slow down the process of how fast your food metabolizes. So those carbohydrates that are going to turn to sugar, it's going to slow it down so that your blood, when it releases it into your bloodstream, it's not going to raise it up as, as much. So it's going to slow it down and won't be as high. Um, some of them work on your muscles to make them more sensitive to that insulin, just like that exercise does. And some of them work on our kidneys. Um, to allow us to excrete um, glucose through our kidneys because typically with our kidney function is without these medications we reabsorb sugar so if the new medications that are out um, let us actually um, excrete sugar through urine. How do they determine which drug to use based on just an A1C or a random glucose test? It's really physician preference. Um, they can look at your lab work. So if someone, the, the new drugs that we allow us to urinate some out is going to be, um, you know, those are new. So they're obviously going to look at your kidney function, how fast you've had infections. If somebody is more prone to urinary tract infections, yes, in Bocana, we're definitely not going to give you something that's going to increase the amount of sugar you're going to urinate out if you have high infections because germs love sugar. So that's why you're at higher risk for urinary tract infections. Most of the medications your doctor will start you on is going to be like a metformin, which which works with your liver and your cells, um, or the ones that stimulate your pancreas. And from there, they add on to the other ones. So you get diagnosed, you have this A1C, um, 
they're going to start you on one medication talk to you about diet and exercise and then try to see if one medication is going to work and from there they're going to add on maybe a combination medication two or three medications um, to see what's going to work and help get your blood sugars down typically if you get to two or three oral medications and that doesn't work then they're going to put you on insulin Yes. Can you talk about the uh, different types of tests and what the numbers mean mm-hmm. for the test? Yeah. Um, so we normally diagnose diabetes through what is known as a lab. It's a lab draw called a hemoglobin A1C. So if anybody's out there, you definitely want to always know what your hemoglobin A1C is. Um, we diagnose type 2 di- or diabetes when someone's hemoglobin A1C is 6.5 or greater. And we always want it to be less than 7%. Um, And A1C measures, when we draw that lab, it measures how well your sugars have been controlled over the last three months. Um, Sugar lives on red blood cells, and red blood cells last in your body for 90 days or three months. So therefore, when they do this blood draw, they have an average of new cells, old cells, medium age cells, and that lets us know kind of what your average blood sugar has been. when we know that an A1C of 7% is an average blood sugar of 154. So we want to keep it less than that because anything that is um, chronically or always above 154 or that A1C of 7%, then it it leads to our chronic complications. And I'll talk about that in a second. Um, So we want that A1C less than 7. And then doctors nowadays are trying to really, really focus on patients that are pre-diabetic where they're testing A1Cs a lot earlier and catching those patients who are about 5.7 to 6.4 and actually starting them on medication in that pre-diabetes range. So, yes, ma'am. I have two questions. Okay. One is, so what would be a good A1C for a non-diabetic? And the second question is, if seven is 154, a blood sugar 154, what was eight? Eight, you know what, I have, I have a cheat sheet with me. Eight is 183. Mm-hmm. Um, but for anybody that's not diabetic, I would want your A1C less than 5.7. Because that 5.7 to 6.4, we're going to start thinking, oh, they're pre-diabetic let's get on this now before their blood sugars get out of control. Let's, let's talk to them, let's about diet, about exercise, about maybe starting them on some medications, especially if they're at higher risk and have those risk factors for type two. Um, if you think about, so diabetes, we talk about our sugars being high. When our sugars are high, floating through our bloodstream, um, it's causing nerve damage. Okay, so sugars is, is hurting our nerves from head to toe because um, it's in our blood, it's flowing from head to toe. You're going to get, you're at higher risk for heart disease. That's why your doctor doesn't want it. It's damaging the vessel of the walls. You're um, also at higher risk for high blood pressure. Blood sugars and blood pressures go together. So if your sugar goes high, typically your blood pressure may be a little bit high. If your blood pressure is high, your sugars may stay higher. So those are really important to keep under um, control and under a certain range. So blood pressures, we say for the um, American Diabetes Association is we want 140 over 90 or less. Um, you are also at risk for, um, well, we talked about the neuropathy, the numbness, and tingling, but it's also um, poor wound care healing. So uh, any type of wound that you might get or illness, doesn't have to be an open wound, but you just even an illness that you get. Um, when your sugars are high, like I said before, germs love sugar. So if your blood sugars stay high, 
and you have this open wound on your leg, your arm, anywhere, or even internally, germs are going to come, they're going to invite the friends, and they're going to have a party wherever that wound is. Okay? So, um, if you get a wound on your, on your foot or your toe, heels, things like that, that is why um, we go to the doctor and they're like, please, please, please keep your sugars down because we want to be able for it to heal. When it doesn't heal and they get these, they'll get these super bugs in there and we can give you all the IV antibiotics that we can and we can't, we just can't treat it and then they'll get so infected that you get amputations. If Ron met Foreman, mm -hmm. is it better to uh, spread it out during the day or is it better to take it when you eat a larger meal? Typically, you just take it with breakfast and dinner. Um, more, most patients like to take it with food because it helps lessen side effects if you have it. It doesn't make you feel quite as nausea and vomiting, which a lot of people get. If you don't get that, then you don't necessarily have to take it with food, but you still want to space it out in the morning and evening. Okay? Yeah. How about the new medicines that you're talking about that come out? Um, new medicines, there's going to be, um, let's see, Invocon is the new one, and Farsiga. Um, those are the new ones that excrete through the kidneys. There are some new insulins out, um, like oh, Tegeo, which is a long-acting insulin, um, and Trebesa, which I don't think we've had any, which is another long-acting insulin. I don't think they've had commercials out, so you may not have ever heard of that one yet. Um, but there are two different types of insulins. We have long-acting insulins and we have short-acting insulins. Um, our long-acting insulins um, is your Levomir or Lantus. Um, have you ever heard of those? Yeah, is anybody on those? I take that Okay. So our long-acting insulins, they mimic what our pancreas would do throughout the day. They last 24 hours. It's just important to take them um, once a day at the same time, unless you're supposed to take it twice a day. Some doctors have you take it twice. But it's very important to take them at the same time each day. Do they have accessible talking pumps? And so something like a continuous glucose monitor um, that could talk. Yeah, so uh, one of the things out there these days. So insulin pumps, um, obviously you have to be on insulin to be on an insulin pump. Um, but those just give you insulin. Now what you're talking about is called a continuous glucose monitor and it's a sensor that you put on. Typically you change it every seven days and what it does is you it lets you know what your sugars are doing right then and there. It's going to let you know if you're going up, if you're going down, if you're staying trending just the right in the middle and the you know right where you're supposed to be. Um, things with uh, CGMs is you do have to still test your blood twice a day, every 12 hours. They're going to make you calibrate it to make sure that it's reading what it is. Um, most insurance, except for Medicare, of course, will actually um, pretty much pay for a CGM if that's something that you're interested in. Uh, of course, you'll still have a copay, so you'd want to talk to them about that. But you can always talk to your doctor about if it's something right for you. Because there are alarms on it and we set alarms on it to let you know when you're going high really fast or if you're gonna drop low really fast. Um, so at least it can beep at you and let you know that. The only thing, I have not seen a CGM that actually talks though. Because I've only seen, I'm only familiar with two of them and that's called a Dexcom and then the Medtronic sensor. Um, and I know they do not talk. That would be about low, low sugar? Low sugar, yes. Um, signs and symptoms of low blood sugar. 
Does anybody know what they are? Uh, you get weak, you get dizzy. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Sometimes you can get disoriented. Yes, dizzy, shaky, sweaty, yep. um, d uh, disoriented. Uh, behavior changes. Some patients get headaches. Some patients get hungry. Um, typically, the headache and the hungry one, I don't really, nobody ever complains yeah, about that, but it's in there. <laughs> Do what? Irritability. Irritability, yes, because that's going to be your um, behavioral changes that you're doing. Most of the time, um, that is a low, but your best thing is when you actually have these symptoms um, is to go check your blood sugar and kind of see what it is, all right? Typically, we say low blood sugar is 70 or less, but actually everybody's different and they can develop symptoms when it's, you know, in the 80s. Not, not normally the 90s unless your sugars have been really high for a really long time, then you probably won't get symptomatic in there. Um, but we would always say, if you feel those symptoms, please check your blood sugar to kind of to see what it is, and so that you get an idea of how low you go before you get symptomatic. Um, and we also want you to check it too, because if you develop these symptoms and your blood sugar is normal, then something else is going on, and we probably need to get that checked out. Um, so to treat low blood sugar, you want to simply eat or drink um, with like a 15 gram carbohydrate. So what this means is like four ounces of regular juice, four ounces of regular soda. Um, you can actually have glucose tablets. You can buy those at the pharmacy. They're over the counter and you just chew four of those. Um, or you can actually just buy the little... Um, Peppermints, the Starlight Peppermints, just don't buy the sugar-free ones or they're not going to work. But the regular uh, Starlight Peppermints will actually work pretty fast. I don't typically want you to eat a candy bar or peanut butter crackers because it's going to work a little bit slower. Um, especially because you're fighting against a protein. And when I talk about food in just a minute, we'll talk about that. Um, so drinking juice and those glucose tablets really work um, really fast. Okay. I'm sorry, what? Honey, yes, honey is straight um, sugar, so that would be fine. Uh, if you have that, usually just eat like a tablespoon or something like that. Um, always, and when I talk about glucose tablets, I always just recommend keeping those in your pocket or your purse or something because you never know when you might have a low. You could be out somewhere that you're not anywhere near food or drink, and you start developing these symptoms. Page three. Okay. The only way we can treat high blood sugar really is with water because the water is trying to decrease the concentration. Um, with insulin, but never give yourself insulin without a physician's order. Um, exercise. And typically those are really the only three things we can do. All right. Besides monitoring our food. Now the fun part, food. All the foods that increase our blood sugar. It's probably easier for me to tell you all the foods that do not increase your blood sugar, okay? So foods that do not increase your blood sugar are going to be your protein, your vegetables, except for peas, corn, and potatoes. So peas, corn, and potatoes are considered a starch, okay? But any other vegetable is fine. Um, and fats. Fats don't raise our blood sugar, but they do contribute to um, high triglycerides, cholesterol, and obesity. But they do not raise your blood sugar. All right. So grains. Yes. So what does raise your blood sugar is going to be grains, oats, rice, cereal, bread, 
pasta, all your fruit, no fruit is exempt, all fruits return to sugar, and milk. So typically, I like to tell patients to stick to 60 grams of carbohydrates a meal. So that's not for the whole day, that's per meal. So you can actually get a lot out of that, depending on which carbohydrates you eat, or not so many. So if you decided for dinner that there was a really good piece of cake sitting there, well, that one slice of cake is probably around 60, or not 60, but about 30 grams of carbohydrates. So that would be half of the amount that you're allowed to have. Um, so the thing with carbohydrate counting that gets a little hard is you have to um, be able to know how many, you know, how many carbohydrates are in a serving. Now, I think when I talk to Ms. Carly here in the hospital, you have some sort of thing that helps you read labels, correct? Um, so we talked about reading, you know, she has a barcode reader that helps read labels. Um, you know, if you have family or friends that can help you um, maybe read the labels of the most common foods that you're eating most of the time, like for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, then um, it's a good idea to know those serving sizes and kind of be able to stick to it. Um, I'll tell you right now, one slice of bread is roughly 15 grams of carbohydrates. All right. Um, when you go to the wheat bread and stuff, it's a little bit less, but it, nothing is carbohydrate free. Okay. So we typically say wheat bread is better for you nutritional wise, but it's not, it, you still have to count it. What about what about what? Non-leavened bread. Non-leavened bread. Now that one I don't know. I'm sorry. Yes, sir. It's made without yeast. Right. Now yeah, I don't know how that works as far as um, for the carbohydrates. I'll write that down though. How about tortillas? Um, okay. Non-leavened. Tortillas. Typically, one six-inch round tortilla is about 15 grams. If you get the bigger burrito size tortilla, like the 10 inches, um, it's about 25 grams. Are any cereal that's not loaded down with sugar? Dry cereal? Um, it's, it's not loaded down with sugar like, you know, Cheerios, not Honey Nut Cheerios, but regular Cheerios um, doesn't have as many carbohydrates. I, I think shredded wheat is also supposed to be. Um, it's That's probably a little bit lower, but all those cereals are going to have carbohydrates in them. So really it's it's trying to ask somebody what, how many carbs are in that. I'm just tired of Cheerios. Yeah. And, is, and so when also when you're looking or someone's giving you, reading you the label, um, they need to be looking at the total carbohydrates that are in it and not just the sugars. Your total carbohydrate on a nutrition label actually takes in account for all the sugars that are in there plus the fiber and calculates it out and adds and subtracts and does it for you. Yes. The percentages are of your daily value. So for carbohydrates, I don't tell patients to look at the daily value. I only tell patients to look at daily value when they're looking at sodium um, because it's really quick to look to see if something's high or low in sodium. Um, but percentage daily values, it typically when it says like 
or higher in something is is really high. They say that um, you know that's going to be really high. So if it, we were talking about sodium or salt, then if you if somebody was to tell you on a box that it was 38 grams and it was 38 percent, then I'd be like, don't buy that. It's full of salt. Five percent or less is really low in that nutrient. Also, some other important things when eating our meals is to make sure, like I said, we're, that we eat. Um, our carbohydrates, you know, that we're at least eating some, that we're modifying them, um, and that if you are going to eat, that you take your mealtime insulin, that I know some of you are on, and not to take your mealtime insulin if you're not going to eat. All right? You can always take your long-acting insulin. That's okay. Um, but your mealtime insulin, you must, you want to eat with that or you'll have a low. Um, very important to have a bedtime snack, too. This is like 30 minutes before you go to bed. This can be a simple um, 15 gram carbohydrate. So it's like in a protein. I'm sorry, I need to go back. When every time you eat a meal, we want you to put protein with everything. Protein actually helps slow down the metabolism of um, your carbohydrates, of your sugars, to help your sugar not go quite as high. So proteins are great, all right? So protein with everything. Vegetables, you know, they just don't raise your blood sugar, but you don't have to have a vegetable if you don't want it. The protein with your carbohydrates, always put them together. Um, so your bedtime snack, especially for those um, whose liver is releasing too much sugar, this is why the bedtime snack is important. Because this gives us fuel and some energy, some gasoline um, to last us for a couple hours when we're sleeping so that our liver doesn't start releasing sugar and causing our blood sugar to go high. All milk will have carbohydrate in it except for the amount of grams per each one and I don't know the exact ones. Um, it's going to get a little bit less, kind of like white bread and wheat bread. So your whole milk is going to have the most grams of carbohydrates in it. Then 2%, then 1%, and then skim or fat free but all of them will still have carbohydrates in them. So sometimes, you know, um, you buy, say, skim milk or fat-free milk. Well, you could put a little bit more in your cereal if you wanted or eat a little bit more cereal because you are just counting those carbohydrates and, and eating only a certain amount. So even drinking skim milk won't utterly cut out carbohydrates? No, no. It's just you could actually have more milk to get to the amount that you're supposed to have. What about the chocolate milk that's already made? I, I, I used to buy a gallon of mm -hmm. it. I just finish it off in 24 hours. Well, yeah, that stuff's so good. <laughs> it, well, no, you're going to have to read the label and know how many carbohydrates are in there. So you would just, um, you know, count that as part of your meal. So, I mean, really it's kind of like, you know, deciding on what foods, what drink do you want the most, and, um, you know, where you're, where you're wanting to give up something else. Um, so like if you were having dinner and somebody was having um, like a spaghetti dinner, all right? So I know that one-third a cup of spaghetti is 15 grams. So if I'm only going to be able to have 60, I'm probably only going to get about one cup of spaghetti and a little bit of sauce, and then I'm going to hit my 60 grams. So I'm going to have to bank on that the salad that I get is about three times the size of my spaghetti portion. <laughs> Um, if you go out to a restaurant and um, you want the big baked potato, so baked potatoes, like I said before, peas, corn, and potatoes are all starches. They're going to raise our blood sugar. Baked potatoes are very high in carbohydrates, you know, so, so are french fries. 
So if I was going to go have a steak, um, I would save all my carbs for my baked potato and make sure I got that loaded up and probably not eat any of the rolls that were on the table. Sweet potatoes, same thing. They're, they're not carbohydrate-free. They're just better for you than a regular baked potato. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yes. Those are perfectly fine as long as you get the sugar-free ones. You can, it would be just like drinking water. Mm -hmm. If you're going to do like Gatorade, if you want like Gatorade or Powerade or something, then you just have to make sure they have a, a zero calorie, zero carb. Um, it's called a G2 is the Gatorade one. I think it's Powerade zero is um, the Powerade one. Um, so you just have to stick to the no carb drinks. And that, so that means we need to drink all diet drinks and not the yummy Coca-Cola and Dr. Peppers. We need diet. Okay. Hmm? Like which ones? Well, aspartame we typically don't teach to, um, so like the aspartame is sweet and low. Um, when we talk about using um, sugar substitutes, we encourage that you use um, like your equal Splenda Stevia and not so much aspartame. A lot of times though your doctors will, there's been so much controversy on aspartame. Um, whether it's okay or not okay. So really, you, your doctor can talk to you about that, but I know as far as my dietitians and stuff, they teach not to use any anything that's the sweet and low pink things. What about pure, uh, pure cane sugar? Nope, that's going to be, that's straight up sugar. I thought so. <laughs> what about soy products? Soy products, um, that's another one where I would say we would have to check the label. I know it's going to be better for you, and I guarantee that it has less carbohydrates in it, but since soy is a bean, it's still going to have some. But, you know, look, checking out those labels means, like, you could eat a lot more things. Like, if you start eating things that are the lowest in carbohydrates, you're, you could have a huge meal and not even know it. I mean, you could have all kinds of, you know, all kinds of things just because, you know, you didn't eat, eat things that were really, really high in carbohydrates. Um, you know, if you eat more proteins and vegetables, you, have, you still have all these carbohydrates to eat. Um, that you can have a meal. So try to include, definitely include some carbohydrates in each meal. Um, don't forget them because, again, that's like your gasoline. But we just have to modify them. Okay? How much sugar does energy drinks have in it? Oh, yeah. Yeah, don't, no Mountain Dews, no Monsters, no. <laughs> yeah. Don't drink Mountain Dew. You can have Diet Mountain Dew, but please don't drink straight Mountain Dew. Or you can, and your sugars will just go really high. Yeah, well, uh, probably not. Um, I guarantee the sodium, the salt content is that is going to be out the roof. Um, and I guarantee it's probably, I mean, it's going to be high in carbohydrates. Now, do you just eat one, like a frozen dinner kind of thing, right? They have tons of sodium in them. Um, as far as carbohydrates, some of them are going to have more than the other. Like if you had one of the turkey ones with a vegetable and it had the stuffing or something with it. 
Um, it's still going to be high in carbs. You'd probably still be within your limit, but it's definitely not the healthiest choice. Now, if you had like a Marie Callender's chicken pot pie, you'd probably be running up there around 80 grams of carbohydrates just for that little chicken pot pie. And what about the deli meats and lunch Those are all proteins. Okay, so all your meat is protein, so you can have that, but you have to watch out for deli meats and things like that, especially, again, because it's processed and it's going to be high in sodium. So anything that's processed as far as in a can or in a, in a box that you um, typically get in the middle of the grocery store is going to be really high in salt because that's how they're preserving it. I just want to say that I think we have kind of put you at a disadvantage as you're trying to convince us and we're smelling our dinner cooking. <laughs> it is a very, yes, it is, has a strong family history. You did a very good job tonight. Thank you. My class is normally an eight-hour class. I was trying to fit it all in. I hope we've all enjoyed this. I think it's been just packed with information. So um, I hope, hope you found it useful. Okay. We want to thank you, Allison, for taking time after being at the hospital all day to come and spend time with us. When we first started talking about it, I think that Allison thought we wouldn't have too many questions, and we really weren't sure um, how, how much people would be interested. We knew a lot of people were interested, but we didn't know, you know how long it would go. And I, th I think it's been absolutely tremendous. So thank you so much. Let's 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 give Allison a round of applause. Okay, Patty has an announcement. I'm sure it's food related. So. <laughs> Okay, we are having burgers and potato salad tonight. When I come around and ask you, remember this selection. So, your choices for your burger are cheese, lettuce, tomato, pickle, mayonnaise, mustard, and ketchup. And if you would like one or two burgers, <laughs> and take extra units of insulin. <laughs> Page 4. National Geographic, February 2016. Copyright 2016 National Geographic Partners, LLC. Read by Joanne Jaquinta. Explore. Us, King of the Canines. Uneasy lies the head that wears a crown, even if that head belongs to a Labrador retriever chasing a tennis ball in a swimming pool. For the past 24 years, the American Kennel Club, AKC, has proclaimed Labradors the most popular dogs in the United States, based on the number of dogs registered with the organization. But just ask English setters, number one in the 1880s, now 87th out of 187 breeds, how fickle fame can be. What predicts puppy popularity? Health lifespan and behavior don't matter as much as movie roles, says Stefano Girlanda, a Brooklyn College psychology professor who has led studies on dog popularity. A breed starring in a successful film can enjoy a boost that lasts a decade. We were surprised the movie effect was so strong, he says. The biggest jump came for Collies after the 1943 release of Lassie Comes Home and its sequels. Yet popularity can backfire. 
The film 101 Dalmatians spiked interest in the spotted pups, but they proved too high energy for many families, says the AKC's Gina DiNardo. They got a bad rap, and their popularity massively declined. Bulldogs, she predicts, will be the next leaders of the pack. Rachel Hardigan Shea. Top Breed. Decade. 1910s. Rank. 1. Boston Terrier. 2. Airedale Terrier. 3. Collie. 4. Beagle. 5. Bulldog. 6. French Bulldog. 7. English Setter. 8. Cocker Spaniel. 9. Pekingese. 10. Bull Terrier. Decade, 1950s. Rank, 1. Beagle. 2. Cocker Spaniel. 3. Boxer. 4. Chihuahua. 5. Dachshund. 6. German Shepherd. 7. Poodle. 8. Collie. 9. Boston Terrier. 10. Pekingese. Decade, 2000s. Rank, 1. Labrador Retriever. 2. Golden Retriever. 3. German Shepherd. 4. Beagle. 5. Dachshund. 6. Yorkshire Terrier. 7. Poodle. 8. Boxer. 9. Shih Tzu. 10. Chihuahua. Find books and more in accessible media with APH's free-of-charge Louis database. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Locate accessible educational materials from nearly 200 different agencies. APH products and textbooks can also be located using Louie. New extended searching now available with free Louie Plus. Visit soon. HTTP colon slash slash L-O-U-I-S dot A-P-H dot org. Many book materials help Braille users jot notes quickly. Pull APH's mini-book Braille binder out of your pocket and begin to write on the mini-book slate in just seconds. Materials are sold separately so that you can choose the combination that's right for you. Call the American Printing House for the Blind, toll-free, 800-223-1839, or visit www.aph.org. Page 5, The Sound Prince Calendar. On March 15, the Tri-State Library users will hold an in-person dinner meeting from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. at Logan's Roadhouse, 5005 Shelbyville Road in Louisville. The speaker will be from the Louisville Free Public Library. Everyone is invited. For more information, call 895-4598. On March 18, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will include education and technology activities from 3.30 to 5.30, dinner from 5.30 to 6.30, which will be pizza, the cost is $5 per person, and then we'll be going to the Braille Readers Theater at the American Printing House for the Blind to see Mousetrap. Roundabout is at the United Crescent Hill Ministries, Call 502-895-4598.
March 18 and 19, will be the Braille Readers Theater at the American Printing House for the Blind. They'll be performing The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie on March 18. The time is 7 to 9 p.m. on March 19, 1 to 3 p.m. APH's Braille Readers Theater presents The Mousetrap by Agatha Christie, the master of British murder mysteries. The plot features a motley crew of characters, an isolated house in the country, and a surprise twist ending. No props, no lights, no costumes, but all fun. For more information, call the American Printing House for the Blind at 502-899-2213. On March 20, the KSB Alumni Board will hold its next meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call. 605-475-6006, code 294444. Also on March 20, the California Council of the Blind Hearing and Vision Loss Committee invites everyone to participate in a conference call concerning auditory anatomy. Their presenter is Tom Brennan, who has been an audiologist for about 30 years and is himself deafblind. This is the fifth in a series of monthly open interactive resource conferences to help you deal with your hearing loss. The phone number is 800-662-6992 and the ID is 1184109. March 21 is the next Kentucky Council of the Blind Board meeting at 8 p.m. by conference call 605-475-6006 code 294444. On March 23, the Bluegrass Council Peer Support Group meets from 12 to 2 p.m. at the BCB office, 1093 South Broadway in Lexington. Learn about accessible voting from the county clerk and try an accessible voting machine. Call 859-259-1834 for details. March 25, The Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Roundabout will include education and technology from 3.30 to 5, a fundraising Avon party from 5 to 6, dinner 6 to 7, and games, crafts, and music after 7 o'clock. At the United Crescent Hill Ministries, 150 South State Street in Louisville. Call 502-895-4598 for details. March 28 is the Guide Dog User's Membership conference call at 7 p.m. 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. Here are some events from April. April 1, GLCB will be hosting a roundabout 3.30 to 10 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries. On April 1 to 3, the Kentucky School for the Blind will be sponsoring a short-term Retreat Weekend for Visually Impaired Students in Grades 6 to 12 who are not current KSB students. The theme is the Game of Life and will focus on independent living skills. For more information, call the school at 502-897-1583. On April 7, ACB Lions will be holding its next monthly conference call at 9 p.m. The number is... 712-432-3900 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. 
On April 8th, the Louisville East Lions Club will be hosting its Spring Chili Supper at St. Leonard's Church, 4.30 to 7 p.m. For more information, contact Debbie Detheridge at 502-895-5895. Also on April 8th, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will be having a roundabout, and it will include carryout from the Louisville East Lions Club Chili Supper. We'll be bringing you more details in a future sound prints. April 10, the Bluegrass Council will hold the 4th Annual Sea Cruise. This is a fundraiser for BCB and is from 5 to 9 p.m. It will include live music by the band Conk Republic at the Banners Bar and Grill, 3650 Boston Road in Lexington. Be sure and plan to attend. Information at 859-259-1834. April 12, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, will be discussing emergency preparedness at its April meeting, 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time at Wing Avenue Baptist Church. Call Rick Boggess at 270-684-4418 for more information. On April 15, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will be holding its spring quarterly meeting and elections. The program will include an Ask the Lawyer time, and there will be other activities as well. Call 502-895-4598 for information. On April 16, a Louisville Industrial Tour will be presented by the American Printing House for the Blind. It's from 9 a.m. to 12.30 p.m., a bus tour of significant industrial sites in Louisville, starting at the historic 1883 building of the Printing House. Tickets are $25 per person and must be purchased by April 8. It's suitable for older children and adults. Call the Printing House at 502-899-2213. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.